Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. How we doing? Saying, why has he got a bucket? Oh, I never know. I might make myself sick while I'm preaching. I don't know. Maybe some of you need it. I, I, got, I was sitting there and I looked over and saw that and I had a little illustration I want to share for just a moment. Um, let's pretend for a moment that this is our Sunday gathering. This is our church. This is where the saints of God, the children of God, the sons and daughters of God come and, and we meet. And when we meet, how many know we make a deposit and we make a withdrawal? Yes, thank you. And let's pretend for a moment that this is that which we draw from the presence of God. The Bible says that God inhabits the praise of his people. That when he prays, God moves in. The Bible talks about that. But I I want you to imagine for a moment, though, that how many know the Bible says that each of us are a temple of the Holy Spirit? The Bible clearly says that. You know, some people say, well, Pastor, let me, I, I, listen, if you want to argue with the Bible, you argue with the Bible. I'm just going to tell you what it says. The Bible says that you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. How many know we're to be filled to measure? And the, and the problem is, if I come in here, because I believe that we come here more, to just, more than just to receive, but how many think we also come to give? We come to give worship. We come to give praise. We come to give edification to one another. We come to make a deposit into the atmosphere. But here's the problem. If this is me, and this is that atmosphere, and this one's empty, I got nothing to add to the atmosphere. But if my cup overfloweth, and if I actually come, and this is me, oh, the water's nice and warm for baptism, and now all of a sudden this is me, and I'm coming in here, and I'm pouring out what's in me, How many know that I'm making a deposit into the atmosphere that others can draw from? What am I saying? What I'm saying is this. And take this for what it's worth and take this very lovingly. But in my spirit, I sense a law in our church. I sense a law of passion and intensity and excitement in the house. And I say that very lovingly and I say that very graciously. And I say it in a very much of an encouragement way of come full. Come full and pour out. And let's see what God does in our midst. Come full and pour out and make a deposit into the atmosphere. Don't come empty looking to get filled. Come filled and see what happens when you pour out. Amen? In other words, let's raise the game. Amen? This isn't entertainment. This isn't a spectator sport. This is the saints of God coming together. One heart, one mind, one spirit, passionately worshiping their God, passionately praying to their God. The one who sent his son to Calvary's cross. The one, the Bible says, won the victory over death. Come on. Let me tell you something. Long before I get excited about a song, I get excited about what I read in the Word of God. The Word of God has me excited when I read it. So anyhow, take it for what it's worth. Well, we're going to do some baptisms at the end of today. We're going to do, we have, I think, five or six people. Who knows? There might even be more before it all said and done. Come on. 
I'm going to do a message today. I've been doing a series. Today we're going to conclude, like I said, we're going to conclude with... We're going to conclude with some baptisms at the end of the day. We've been doing a series entitled Out with the Old and In with the New. This will be the last message in that series. The first week we did a message called Throw Tobiah Out. And that dealt with the aspect that you and I, the Bible says, are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that you and I are a priest, that God made us to be kings and priests to serve him. And the problem with that is in the Old Testament, we use the illustration that in the temple during Nehemiah's time, a priest made a deal with the enemy of God's people and gave him a room in the temple. All right? And the idea there is to make sure that Tobiah has no room in our temple. Message two was killing the man, dealt with you and I becoming a new man by virtue of the old man being crucified with Christ, like Paul said. That the old man became the seed for the new man. Message three was talking about a son is born. Now, who is this new man? When this new man is born and the old is gone and the new is coming, the Bible says there's a new man that's born. Who is he? And we talked last week about how it's a son, that you and I are children of God, sons of God, daughters of God when we're born again. Today, I want to talk to you. I have a title. It's out with the old, in with the new. And I want to talk to you about, this is the phrase we're going to use. This is the title, our old worship, new worship. All right, but let me tell you right off the bat, let me just tell you right off the bat, I am not talking about music styles, all right? I am not talking uh, about hymns versus choruses. I'm not talking about what has typically been referred to worship as in the musical expressions we bring to God. That is not the subject of the message, all right? We're not getting into a worship war, a music war, okay? Today's message is not dealing with that. But rather, I want to talk to you about what happens in and through you and I when we come to Christ. What happens when the old man dies? What happens when the new man is born? When that son is born? And you might be saying, what does it have to do with baptism? I'm going to show you that in a few moments, all right? Let me give you some scriptures on baptism very quickly. Um, why do we do baptism? I mean, know we do baptism because Jesus commanded the disciples to go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see John baptizing. We see Jesus baptizing in the scripture. We see the apostles baptizing, all right? Paul says in Romans that don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We know Jesus was baptized. We know that Jesus baptized people. We know the apostles baptized people. So we certainly know that baptism was and is a sacerdotal element of the early church as well as the present church. I want to deal with this subject by taking a look at those, some of those in the book of Acts, who were baptized, and see what we can learn from this, all right? So let me give you a, a slide here that shows you that in the book of Acts, there were eight recorded baptisms that took place. Let me mention those to you. The first one, Acts chapter 2, 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Can you imagine what 3,000 baptisms? I, 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 that hit me yesterday. I said, oh my goodness, 3,000 baptisms in one day. That'd be pretty stinking cold. All right, the Samaritans in the city of Samaria, Acts chapter 8, when Philip went to Samaria. There was the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 that Philip had to leave the revival in Samaria to go find because God sent him there. There was Saul who became the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. Jesus preached to him. Come on. Don't you love it when Jesus does the preaching? Cornelius and his family in Acts chapter 10 who Peter went and preached to. The jailer in Acts chapter 16, after that mighty move of God on that prison. 
Crispus, the synagogue roller, in Acts chapter 18 by Paul. And then there was, um, I missed one, didn't I? Where's Lydia? Lydia, sorry about that. And Lydia in Acts chapter 16. And then the last one, Ephesians in Acts chapter 19. I think I might have got off a little. Here we go. All right. But I want to do is I want to tell you the story this morning of three of them. The first of those I want to tell you about, uh, I want to tell you about three of them. Ethiopian eunuch, Acts chapter 8. Let me read a scripture. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Let me give you the scripture about Cornelius. Cornelius, the scripture says, was a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household. And he gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Your prayers have ascended as a memorial for God, the angel came and told him. And then there was Lydia, Acts chapter 16. She was a woman who was a, uh, a businesswoman. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by God. You, you see, I want to tell you about these three people out of those eight occasions, because the Bible describes them as good people. How many know good people still need Jesus? How many know good people still need to be saved? They were good people. They were worshipers of God. You say, well, how can they be worshipers of God and they weren't saved? Because they were. I'll show you that to you in a minute. The Bible describes them as people who prayed. The Bible describes them as people who gave. They were givers. It shows them to be people who were seeking and searching for God. Yet, there was a problem. Even though they were worshipers and they prayed, their worship of God was limited. It's interesting. I mean, come on. An Ethiopian unit, you have an emasculated African a Roman oppressing Gentile and a Gentile woman all trying to worship God, but with limitations. Why were there limitations? Because they didn't know Christ. If you, don't, if you don't know Christ, you can only worship God to the extent that the old covenant allows you to worship God. They haven't been able to believe in Christ. God was about to change this. And let me talk to you about a phrase this morning, just for a few moments, talked about this. I, I want to talk to you. They were worshiping, but their worship was worship with walls. All right, their worship had walls to it. And they said, what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, they were worshipers of God, but they were unconverted. How many of you know there are people out there today who are trying to worship God, but are unconverted in their life? Yes, praise the Lord. Okay. He said, but how does that make, how can that happen? Of course it can happen. They're trying their best to worship God. They're praying to God, but yet they don't know who Jesus is. All right, and that creates a wall. They were good people. They were good people, but they were unconverted. All right? They were praying people, but they were unconverted people. They were worshiping God in an unconverted condition, worshiping according to the old covenant that they knew. All right? Because they worshiped according to the old covenant, there were walls to their worship. All right? Now think about this. Let me, let, me, let, me show you, uh, let me show you a picture. See this picture right here? Yeah. Now, I want to tell you something. Here's the problem. In a moment, I'm going to take us back to that picture. Even though these people all had a desire to worship God, they had walls that would hinder them from fully being able to worship God in their present context. In their worship, they were limited by an old covenant uh, system that stood opposed to them. The Ethiopian eunuch. The Bible says he came from Africa. He came to Jerusalem to worship God. Here's the problem. That man didn't know that when he got to Jerusalem, he was not even going to be allowed to enter the temple. 
The Bible very clearly says that there is no emasculated person or foreigner can enter into the temple of God. The eunuch would encounter the wall of physical defects in race. He could not enter because of his race and he could not enter because of physical defect. Even if he would have been allowed to go in, he would have only been allowed to go so far. I need to, all right, let me give you an illustration. You see over here on the right-hand side, there's a place called the court of the Gentiles, the Gentiles courtyard. Even had he been allowed to go in, that's as far as he could go. If you look up there, you don't, I don't have this one circled, but number one, the very top, that's the holy place. Inside of there is the holy of holies. That's where the priest met with God. That's where the God and the presence of God, the presence of God and the priest met in that holy place. He could never get there. Matter of fact, nobody could get there except for the high priest and that only on the great day of atonement. One person could get into the presence of God. Okay, let me tell you about Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. First of all, how many know the Romans were the oppressors of Israel at that point in time? Okay. The Bible says that he wasn't Jewish. He was a Roman centurion. He was a Gentile. All right. He as well would have only been allowed to go as far as the courtyard of the Gentiles. As a matter of fact, there were um, inscriptions on the pillars in there that said this. They were, they, that, that, Hebrew warning all Gentiles to come no further under the penalty of death. Can you imagine you're going, you want to worship God. You get into the court of the Gentiles. You look around and you see signs that say, if you go any farther than this, you get any closer to God than this, you're going to die. Oh boy, how many of that's worshiping with a wall? Lydia. Lydia was limited by the walls of gender and race. She had two strikes against her. She was a woman and she was a Gentile. All right. Let me show you another spot. This one right here, number nine. Number nine was what was known as the court of women. How many know the noisy place? <laughs> Just teasing. All right. It wasn't that it was only women who comprised that court. It was that the women could only go that far. That's all the farther they were allowed to go. She had two strikes. She was a Gentile and a woman. Had she not been a woman, she as well would have had to stop in that, at that um, court of the Gentiles. All right? Now, these walls said, you can worship, but you can only come so close. You can worship, but you can only get so close. Your physical condition, you Ethiopian eunuch, says you can't come in. Your gender, Lydia, says you can't come in. Your race, Cornelius, says you can't come in. Even if they didn't, now listen to me, even if they didn't have any of those things standing against them, they still had a problem. Even if they weren't an emasculated foreigner, even if she, he wasn't a Roman Gentile, even if she wasn't a Gentile woman, they still would have encountered worship that came with limitations because, listen to me for a moment, their sin still created a wall between them and God. All right? Uh, worship with walls says you can only get this close. That's all. That's what it says. The old covenant says you can worship, but you can only get this close. Now, stick with me for a moment. I'm going to show you what happens. You see, because I want to give you another phrase, and then I'm going to show you a couple points. See, the problem is, even if they weren't Roman, even if they weren't Gentiles, even if they weren't a woman, even if they weren't a foreigner, their problem was they could only go so far and their worship would always leave them without. 
all right? They would always leave them without. Let me read you a scripture, Hebrews chapter 9. It says, now when these things have been prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second, only the high priest enters once a year, not without the taking of blood, which he offers for himself and the sins of the people committed. The Holy Spirit is signifying that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing. According, both, accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which, listen to the word, listen, cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. Which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. Since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. Old covenant worship always left the worshiper without. You say, without what? Well, I'm glad you asked, all right? First of all, it leaves us without a cleansing for sin. How many of the high priest would take the blood of the lamb, take it into the holy holies, put it upon the mercy seat, and the blood would be atoned for, but how many know it wasn't cleansed? We weren't cleansed. We weren't forgiven, all right? It left us without a clear conscience in regards to God, in regard to sin, that we still know that we were guilty. It didn't, okay? It was an annual atonement, so it left us without an eternal redemption. Once a year, that had to be done. Every year, it had to be done. Over and over. Blood of the lamb. A, blo- a lamb slaughtered. Lamb killed on the altar. Blood taken in. Put upon the mercy seat. And now, the sin would be atoned for for another year. All right? So it left us. It left the worshiper without eternal redemption. If I don't come back next year, if I don't come again, I'm not going to be atoned for for another year. It left us without access to God. Come on. You can only come so far. I don't have that. I was going to, I was going to point to it. <laughs> All right. I can only come so far. If I was a Gentile, I can only get into the Gentile court. If I'm a woman, I might get that far. If I'm a Jewish man, I can still only get so far. The only one that can go into the presence of God is the high priest. One person. Once a year. I mean, no, that's not the God we serve. Why did the old covenant leave worshipers without? Let me give you a couple of reasons. One, because the high priest was lacking. Mm-hmm. Because the sacrifice of bulls and goats were lacking. Because the worshiper who brought the offering was sinful. And the priest who offered the worship offering was sinful. It was an inferior offering offered by an inferior priest. And inf- the inferior, inferiority of that worship and that offering always leaves man without. You see, you got to understand something for just a moment. Cornelius, Lydia, the eunuch, Crispus, the synagogue leader, who we're not really focusing upon, and all these other ones in the book of Acts were trying to worship God. But their worship was according to the old covenant. And the old covenant worship had worship with walls that always left them lacking, left us lacking when we were done. But here's the good news. Everybody say, but Jesus. Ah, how many of those are two great words? But Jesus. Let me read you a scripture found in Hebrews. But when Christ appeared, come on. But when Christ appeared, it was old covenant worship until Christ appeared. Those are the greatest words in the scripture today. But when Christ appeared, because how many know when Christ appeared, it changed everything. Listen to me. In your own life today, you need to say something. But Christ appeared. Yeah. Don't get excited. It's not that good anyhow. 
But when Christ appeared, let me read the scripture, as the high priest, because how many know we have a high priest who's not sinful any longer? Of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. Come on, he came and he appeared in a tabernacle, but it wasn't an earthly tabernacle. How many know his, his offering was made in a heavenly tabernacle? All right? And he didn't, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled upon those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. New covenant worship never leaves the worshiper without. It just doesn't. New covenant worship never lets the worshiper in a state of, quote, without. First of all, why? Listen to me. Because first of all, you need to understand something. It cleanses the worshiper from sin, not just atones for sin. It provides an eternal redemption, not a one-time atonement. Come on. He didn't just cover your sin. He paid for your sin and brought you an eternal redemption. And here's the great part. And the Bible says now he gave us access to God. When Jesus took his blood and he went into that holy place and he offered that blood and that, and that veil was ripped from top to bottom. That veil that separated man from God. Now you and I, the worshipers of God under the new covenant, we have access to the throne of God. New covenant never leaves us without. It was a superior offering offered by a superior high priest. It was conducted in a heavenly temple brought by a perfect priest that brought us eternal redemption and cleansed us from sin and cleansed man's conscience from dead works. Say, what's dead works? There's the dead works of sin and there's dead works of religion. Come on, how many know that no longer do I offer the dead works of the old covenant worship? You see, the old covenant worship had walls that kept man out. The old covenant worship had walls that kept man without. The old covenant worship had walls that kept man from only being able to go so far. But Jesus came as the last high priest to make a one-time offering that would forever tear down the walls. He came as the high priest to make a one-time offering in his blood that gained eternal redemption. He came as the last high priest to make a one-time offering to cleanse you and I from dead works of sin and dead works of religion. Now, let me bring you back to these three people, the eunuch, Cornelius and Lydia. Three Gentiles. A woman, a eunuch, and a Roman who were seeking to worship God. But their worship was hindered by the walls of their lives and the walls of the old covenant worship. They, their worship was hindered by the Old Testament pattern of worship. But they wanted to worship God. But they wanted to worship God. They prayed to God. They traveled. He traveled for weeks just to get from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. They had a desire. They were seeking. They were searching. They were worshiping to the best that they knew how. They were worshiping what they knew. How could they ever transition? How would they ever be able to fully worship the God they desired to worship? Would they ever be able to overcome the limitations of their race, ethnicity, gender, physical condition, 
and may I say, sin. Would they ever be able to move beyond those walls? Would they ever be able to worship God with a clear conscience in regard to sin? Would they ever be able to worship God with a clear conscience in, being, in terms of being made clean? The answer is yes. Why? Because how many know it was God who went looking for them? Come on, get this for a moment. This is so good. So good. The Bible tells me that my God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. All right? He's the one the Bible says that when I call, he will answer. God saw a physically defected, ceremonially unclean foreigner who wanted to worship him but could not because the walls kept him out. And what did he do for him? He sent a man named Philip to meet him on the road so that he could lead him to Jesus. Listen to me. God saw this Roman Gentile centurion, gave to the poor, prayed to him. The Bible says he feared God. What does God do? God sends an angel, gives him a vision and says, send to Joppa because I'm going to send a man named Simon to you. God saw this woman, this Gentile woman who worshiped God. And God said, I'm going to send she, who would, she would never be able to get beyond the walls of her gender and the walls of her race. And God said, I'm going to send a man named Paul to you. He sent three different men on three separate occasions to three different people. But they all went with the same message. Here was the message. They were men with a message, and that message was Jesus. The message was Jesus Christ died for your sins. That message was Jesus died on Calvary. Jesus was buried, and Jesus was raised from the dead, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. That message would forever change their life and tear down every wall that stood opposed to them. Guess what? It's the same message that you and I need to hear. The message of the church has not changed in 2,000 years. The message of the church has not changed in 2,000 years. Jesus is still the message. Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus rose from the dead. It has not changed in 2,000 years. And I pray to God that message never gets old for you. I pray to God that theme never gets old for you. The message these men brought was not, listen to me, the message they brought was not, here's a better way to a better life. But rather, here's a better way to God. It's not, it's not a better way to a better life. Here's the better way to God. Here's the perfect way to God. Here's how you can get to God through Jesus. Here's a better way to the God you've been worshiping. Here's the perfect way to the God you revere. Philip found a cracked, listen to me. Philip found a castrated African on the road to Gaza. The man went to Jerusalem to worship. He may not have got into the temple, but I'll promise you he got into the heart of God. Come on. Traveled for weeks, couldn't get in. He may not have got into the temple, but how many know he left there with the word of God? He paid a lot of money for the scroll of Isaiah. He took the scroll of Isaiah. He's sitting along the road. He's reading the scroll of Isaiah. Philip goes up to the chariot. He hears what he's reading. Do you know and do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless somebody explains it to me? And he begins to explain the message of Jesus. Listen, God's looking for you, just like he was looking for them. He sees your every move. He wants you to know him. He made a way for you to know him. He made a way for you to worship him. And that way is Jesus. Come on, let me tell you how good my God is. My God is so good that he'll find you wherever you are. The message of the church hasn't changed in 2,000 years. God sent a man 
named Peter to a worshiper, by, to the man Cornelius. He, God said, your prayers have come before me. Your giving has been a memorial to me. He sent that man, Peter, to a message, with a message to Cornelius that would tear down the walls. God sent a man named Paul to a woman named Lydia. Her gender would keep her out. Her ethnicity would keep her out. But God was coming to her. See, the message to all three was the same. But let me give you another message that came with the message. See, the message they came with was Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ was buried. Jesus was resurrected. He paid for your sins. He took your place. But here's the message within the message. The message within the message from those three to those people were the walls are down. The walls are down. The walls that are keeping you from God have been torn down. And I got to tell you something this morning. I got news for you. I got a word for you. The walls are down this morning. The walls of your sin are down. The walls of race are down. The walls of gender are down. The walls, every wall that ever existed to keep you from God have been taken down in Christ Jesus. The walls of gender, the walls of race. The high priest, Jesus, took the offering of blood behind the veil in worship. It was a worship offering. And the walls that stood between you and God came tumbling down. The message was the same for all of those who experienced baptism in the book of Acts. The message was, the walls are down. Come and worship. Come and worship. The walls are down. Come to thy son and worship. Come through the lamb and worship. Come covered by the blood and worship. Come and bow down. The Bible tells me also about some other ones that received it. You see, it talks about these, that, that the message was proclaimed. But let me tell you about a message is only good. It's only good when you receive it. The Bible says in multiple places they received the message that they heard. How do we receive a message? You can only receive this message by faith. You can only receive it by, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did. You have to receive the message. Today, we're doing baptisms. And the reason we're doing these baptisms is we got some people that said, you know what? I've heard the message. I believe the message. I receive the message. But then, see, they heard it, and they received it, and then they became it. And how many know the message that you hear is the message that you'll become? You hear a religious, you receive a, the message that you receive is the message that you will become. You receive a religious message, you become a religious man. You receive a legalistic message, you become a legalistic man. How many know this morning, we don't need any more mixed messages. We need to get the one message straight, and that's Jesus Christ. You're a limited Christian because you received a limited message. The message, the crucifixion, death, and resurrection is the message they all received and they all became. You see, I want you to see this. All three of these worshipers were worshipers of God, but were limited by the walls of their lives. All three of these worshipers of God were limited by the old covenant regulation. It was regulated worship. All three of these were sent by someone, sent by God to share the message of Christ. And all three of them received that message. Now get this. And their first act their first act after receiving the message was to offer themselves in worship through baptism. 
can we raise our game on baptism this morning and view it as an act of worship? Jesus, when he died on the cross and he was buried and the blood went into the holy place, never never forget that this was the worship done by the high priest. What were they saying? They're saying, here I am. Here I am. I don't got a goat and I don't got a bull. I got Jesus and I want to do what Jesus did. I'm crucifying myself with Christ. I'm being buried with him and raised to new life. In the same manner that Jesus offered himself to the Father as a worship offering, I'm now offering myself in worship. Baptism is an identification with the death of Jesus. It's an identification with the burial of Jesus. It's an identification with the resurrection of Christ to new life. But might I also say that it's identifying with him and offering himself as worship to the Father. The Ethiopian eunuch encountered the message of the one who broke down the walls that opposed him. And he said, here I am. Here I am. I want to be baptized. Here I am. What's preventing me from being baptized? What's preventing me from dying with Christ? What's preventing me from being raised to new life? What's preventing me? Nothing. Nothing. There once used to be a wall that prevented you, but nothing any longer. That Gentile man, oppressor of Israel, heard the message. It's a, and, 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 and just when we think we got it all figured out and we got God in a box, God messes up the box. Because he had the audacity to baptize that house in the Holy Spirit before water baptism. How dare he? And he know we have this all figured out. It's amazing. Peter preaches. They hear the message. Holy Spirit comes upon them, baptizes them in the Spirit. They speak with other tongues. And Peter's like, <laughs> what's going to prevent us from baptizing them in water now? To love when God messes up the walls. Lydia heard this message of the one who broke down the walls of gender, the walls of race. And she said, here I am. I received the message. Here I am. I give myself in worship. Oh, remember this guy named Saul? Let me tell you about him. He wasn't quite in these three. But let me tell you about this guy named Saul who was on a murderous trip to Damascus. And all of a sudden, somebody showed up and began to preach to him. Yeah, it was Jesus. Remember Jesus showed up? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus. I'm the one you thought was dead, and I'm still alive. What happens? Three days, he's blind. Three days, he can't see. All of a sudden, Ananias comes, prays for him. He's baptized. Something like scales fall off of his eyes. I told you the story of three individuals who worshiped according to an old covenant pattern. I told you about three individuals who were limited in their worship. I told you the story of three individuals who heard the message, received the message, and they would never worship the same again because the new creation cannot worship according to the old covenant because we come through Jesus. The walls were down. They had access to God. They desired to worship. The God they desired to worship is the one who removed all the walls that stood opposed to them. And he removes those walls from your life. 
I don't care what your status in life is. I don't care what it's been. I don't care what your race is. I don't care what gender you are. I don't care what sins you committed in the past. And I don't care what you did yesterday. I'm telling you today that Jesus Christ removed the walls that stood between you and God. Come and bow down. Come and worship. The Spirit says come. The walls are down. Here's the message. Receive the message. Be the message. Say why? What? How does this? But but but. Because what you're doing in baptism is you're identifying with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. But this morning, I just want to raise our sights another level and say, but it's also, I'm bringing myself in worship. That worship is not just going to be a song that I sing on Sunday. But worship is that I'm giving you all of this because you have taken down all the walls. It's amazing to me. We live in an era of the new covenant. We live in new covenant era. And yet we seem to still have a mixture of old covenant worship. That people are left wondering sometimes, did I do enough? You will never do enough to pay for your sin. But Jesus did. But Jesus did. The question is, He carried himself as worship into the Holy of Holies so that every wall that opposed us could be broke down. The question I have for you this morning is will you in turn give yourself in worship to him? People often say, I often ask people, why was Jesus baptized? Come on, Troy. A lot of times people say, well, I'll say, why was Jesus? And we always use this scripture that we always use the phrase that he did it as an example for us. And there's a certain element of truth to that, though. It's okay. I think it's a simplistic, narrow view of it. I think there's a, the Bible tells me that Jesus said he came to fulfill the law, all the law. When I look into Jesus' life, I see a fulfillment of the law of God. One of the things that happened in the, how many know Jesus came as our high priest? The Bible says he came as the high priest. The Bible says that he was our high priest who carried the blood in. But you couldn't enter the priesthood until you were 30 years of age. How many know Jesus began his ministry at 30? In the Old Testament, you couldn't become a priest until you were 30, but you had to go through a ceremony. You had to be cleansed in water, washed in water. Then you had to be anointed with oil. I remind you that Jesus, at 30 years of age, showed up at the Jordan River, was washed in water, and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And he entered into his priestly ministry on our behalf. May I suggest to you this morning that the Bible tells me that when he died, he made me to be kings and priests. He made me to be a priest. That Peter said we're a priesthood. Revelation says in a couple places that he made us to be priests. May I suggest to you that we could just raise the level this morning that I'm coming to him saying, I give you my life in worship. And, and I want to be cleansed washed and anointed so that I can serve you. 
Peter says it this way. Peter says, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a clear conscience towards God. <laughs> baptism doesn't save you. That water doesn't save anybody. But this morning, I want to say to you that when I read the Acts, I see men and women with walls that worshiped with walls that came. That when Jesus came to them, when they heard the message and received the message, that in that converted state, they said, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. I give myself the first. Could it be that the first act of worship by those who heard the message and received the message was offering themselves in baptism? Randy, would you go and tell Chris that we're going to need the kids that are and if you're going to be baptized, you can go prepare yourself right now. And let me say this very succinctly this morning. Very simply. If you're here this morning, and you say, well, I wasn't on the list. And you want to be baptized. You can be baptized today. As a matter of fact, I would say to you this morning. That if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And you were worshiping him. And, you, you've been, and you're in an unconverted state. You say, what do I got to do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is the day that you say, I believe. I believe. Today is the day. Don't wait till tomorrow. Now is the moment. I believe. And make your first act of worship. Make your first act of worship. I give myself. I give myself. I join him in his worship. You say, well, I don't, what do I do? What do I do? I want, I want to be baptized. What do I do? Right here is a bunch of chairs. Come sit in one. Yeah, I was like, oh, I put me out. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm so nervous. Listen to me. He broke down the walls of pride too. He broke down the walls of pride too. You're here today. And you said, man, I wish I'd have signed up. What are you waiting for? Take the plunge. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? So, Father, this morning, we say thank you. Thank you. We once were behind walls. We had walls in our lives. We had the walls of sin that would only allow us to get so close to you. But man, you took care of that. You took care of it. You sent your son to go behind the veil to break down the walls. Because he went behind the veil and he went into the presence of God and he was the perfect offering. Because he put his blood there. Every wall that stood between me and you, you broke down. <laughs> Keep me from building other ones up. Keep me from building walls of religion. Keep me from building walls of legalism. Keep me from building walls of sin. Keep me from building walls of, uh, 
of pride. Keep me from building walls. Father, as we celebrate baptism in a few moments, may it be a sacred moment. There's nothing wrong with having sacred ritual. Sometimes we talk about ritual, we talk about tradition. There's nothing wrong with having sacred rituals. There's nothing wrong with having sacred tradition. But it's more than just a ritualistic moment. It's a worship moment. It's a moment of identification. It's a moment marking transformation. And so, Father, in the next few moments, I would ask you and your presence to remain in this house as each and every one of us would honor this sacred moment. May we never get familiar with the things that you're doing. We want this to be a sacred moment, a special moment. Father, may your presence rest here in Jesus' name.